Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today we are kicking off season seven with a guest we've had before on the show. Please welcome back songwriter, guitarist for a Wilhelm scream, Trevor Riley. Last time we went through their history. This time we're talking about their new album, Lose Your Delusion. You can see them on the Lose Your Delusion tour, and you can see us play together in Portland, Oregon, June 14th. This is Trevor Riley. I feel like I'm getting a little preview of the studio right now, just you walking through the room. Oh, yeah. I get a band in here right now. Oh, really? Yeah, they took the night off to go see Turnstile in town, but yeah, we're on to guitars. Oh, that looks great, man. Thanks, man. You've been producing for other bands since you got this up and running? Yeah. In January and February, I did like five artists that just kind of hit me up. You know, people that, I, that I've known for years just kind of checking in to see if the studio was ready kind of a thing. Yeah. It came out like a, the perfect time because like a couple of our tours had gotten canceled uh, because of COVID at that point. Yeah. So it was like awesome. Take it as it comes, you know? So it's been really cool. Yeah, that's great. A little uh, side income too while your tour is canceled. Yeah, totally. So I'm really excited because this band I'm recording right now is a band called Fault. And I recorded them back in uh, 2017 you know, had a great experience. And then they ended up doing a couple other releases in a couple other different studios. And then after trying out, you know, some other studios, they decided that they wanted to come back to me for their full length. So it's like their first full length album. So they're, you know, they're all really excited. Nice. So you did an EP at the old basement studio that you had? Yeah, over at my dad's place. Cool. My dad's over here with me. My dad does like the mastering. Nice. Yeah. So we both work out of here and hang out and it's been good. What is that? You rocking a vintage Batman shirt? What What is that cover? I think it's a cover of Detective Comics. It's like a thing from the eighties. Is it like a walk through Arkham? Like you can see the reflections of all the the rogues. Is that what I'm seeing? It's like a bunch of uh, like paintings on the wall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thing. I, I, I think, feel like I've I don't. I don't have this issue, so I don't know what happened. Uh, let's see. Prowl the Dark Knight's Rogues Gallery, if you dare. That's rad. Yeah. <laughs> I think Batman's at his best when he's facing multiple uh, villains. Agreed. All at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Nightfall, Long Halloween, those type of stories. Yeah. Since the last episode, we wound up talking about Star Wars for 10 minutes. I figured it'd be okay if I asked you about that. <laughs> Me and the guys, like, we were just in Europe, so, like, we download as many movies as we can mm-hmm. onto the different apps that we have. And uh, Batman was the, one, the the new Batman movie. That was like the one. We were all like obsessed with that. Probably saw that like three times. That's awesome. I saw that five times in the theater, man. It was it was wow. Just such an experience. Like it's on HBO now, and I've watched it a couple times. And it's like, but I need it big in a completely black, silent room. You know, like it's just yeah. It was so special there. I I had to keep seeing it. That's awesome. I thought it was sick. It was the whole uh, detective aspect. and Yeah, yeah. It, the way I described it, because like, the local comic shop that I go to, when I went in there, everyone who worked there was like, hey, so did you see it? What did you think? Should we go? You know. And I was like, basically, it's a Batman movie for comic readers. Yeah. Everyone who saw it in the theater right away was like, fuck yeah. And then the only bad reviews came for the people who waited for TV and was like, this isn't funny. This isn't fun. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not at all. Yeah, I thought they nailed it. Uh, same same thing. Like when it came out, I think I saw some like Facebook, some some friends in my Facebook uh, page or whatever, uh, basically like saying that was piece of shit. Like it was terrible. I'm like, <laughs> no, it can't. It can't be. It, what? And then I finally saw it for myself. I'm like, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, man. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it's, all, it's all in your expectations, you know. Yeah, it's like, what do people expect, you know? So you were on the show back on episode 64, and uh, right now this is episode 97. So we're not going to go back through the history of the band. If anybody wants to hear that, uh, go back to 64, and we go through everything from Smack and Isaiah up through sort of the very beginnings of this record that at the time didn't have a name or any information that we could really know. So today, we can just talk all about the new record. You showed me a bit of, of the new studio. Tell me about 
this process. Party Crasher was the first self-produced album for the band, right? Full-length album. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've, I'd always, it, the, the first of our records, you know, I've always worked on other people's music, you know, recordings and stuff like that. But that was the first, you know, first full-length album because we, we did the EP ourselves as well at my dad's place. And with Party Crasher, you know, we had a lot of help. Like we had James Witten, who had been our long, our long-time sound engineer on tour with us and stuff like that. And myself and Mike and James, we kind of like, you know, took different roles and put it all together. This time around, we got James back, but we didn't get Mike. Yeah. Uh, Cause it just wouldn't work out. Just various things going on. So yeah, I got James back in the fold here. And, uh, that was always my plan going back probably like six years now, seven years now. Like when we first got the idea, my wife and I to buy a property, downtown here in new bedford and you know have a place where we could live be in the city and also you know be able to record music and have it be a legitimate business you know like you know in the eyes of the city and everything like that so yeah back then i remember having dinner with uh james and mike and saying ah this is gonna happen and they're kind of like yeah okay yeah yeah sure trev and i'm like no it's really, <laughs> really gonna happen <laughs> you know? yeah and then you know so many years later here we are you know and uh did our first record at the new spot. What was it about this place when you were shopping around that went, oh yeah, this layout is really conducive to a studio workflow? Well, prerequisite number one was tall ceilings. Yeah. You know, I'd always recorded, you know, in the basement and stuff like that and, you know, kind of deadened the sound of everything, you know, is kind of the way we rolled. So, and also have something that is also like commercially zoned. Yeah. In the city. So like, you know, I could have artists in here to work on their stuff, you know, legitimately. So those are really the two prerequisites. So we found this and there were about almost like 12 foot ceilings in here. So wow, when you're working with that, it, it, it really opens up the amount of things that you could do to treat the ceiling. You know, we made these waffle things to scatter the sounds. And I mean, it was such a relief to find out that shit sounded good in here. Yeah, <laughs> dude. That much. I'm definitely relating to... Uh how you describe your old space, because I've been recording in this converted garage since 2005. And, and that was sort of the thing is that it's low ceilings. I've got two layers of carpet. I got sound baffle, you know, everywhere, foam everywhere and make it as dead as possible. Cause you don't want that small room sound, you know? And then the only shitty thing is you kind of just have to add the room into it afterward, which is never quite the same, you know? Yeah, at the ambience. I really liked a lot of the sounds that we got in the face. And that, like, I, I mean, listening to your stuff, it sounds awesome. You know, like, oh, thank you. Know, you. So it's kind of like when you work with what you got, you know, sometimes it might take a little longer. I, th I think that's the big thing that I learned. It was, was that it doesn't take quite as long, particularly when it comes down to like mix down and stuff like that to get the sounds that's in your head kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the best thing you can do is record what you want in the mix you know like get your raw tracks to sound as much like the final product that you envision as possible because there's only so much yeah. you can undo later i guess you know oh absolutely now talk to me about mixing because on the last episode i think that was 2018 somewhere around there and you had said that you had spent about four years at that point really honing your skills as a mixer and right now we're talking about these other bands that you're producing and stuff. So tell me, how does Kyle Black come to mix this record? And did he start with your working rough mixes or did he start from scratch? Like, how did that go? Well, Kyle Black came in, into the picture because we took a long time. At that point, this was like last summer. So it was like the tail end of the pandemic and stuff. We hadn't really been able to get into a room together to hash anything out, you know? So once we got everybody in, it was sort of like, okay, let's work out our stuff. And then kind of like, I'm totally the kind of guy, like it takes as much time as it needs. Yeah. Whatever, whatever's best for the record. Yeah, definitely. So really like we spent a good month just on vocals. You know, we want to try some different things. Nuno has an amazing voice, you know, and it was really about like, I wanted to show off his natural tone yeah that he also has he's got a very rich voice you know not only when he like brings the grit 
mm-hmm. you know, but also when he, you know, I wanted to see what it would be like for these songs. Some of these songs kind of called for like, um, that rich Nuno voice, you know, so to get that, there was a, a certain period of, um, getting comfortable with that and seeing what works. And basically like I was living this record really for like two months straight. And I, I definitely had the intentions from the beginning of mixing it myself, but after the tracking, you know, I knew that it was the best interest for the record for me to kind of step away from it and get another set of ears on it to do the mixing at that point. Yeah. I mean, straight up Kyle Black was my favorite mixer going. The uh, Comeback Kid Outsider record I thought was phenomenal. You know, I was talking to Ben from Creator Destructor. You know, we're tossing a couple names around. It's like, what do you think about Kyle Black? And he's like, let me hit him up. And he got right back to us saying, oh, yeah, I'll move some things around. Like, I want, you know, he was really jazzed to do it because he had really wanted to work with us for a long time. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah. So, like, that's kind of how it all came together. And then um, as far as the actual stuff, like, you know, he's like, hey, do do you want to send me the Pro Tools sessions? Okay, cool. So he did kind of build off what you had going and, and, and fine tune it. Yeah. James had like, before he had left, before we started vocals, James had left before he went back home, we did so, you know, some rough mixes and stuff like that to get it in the ballpark. Yeah. Because in addition to the insane amount of vocal tracks that we did, we also did an insane amount of guitar tracks. (laughs) Yeah. So it made it a lot easier instead of me saying like, okay, uh, that part that goes yada, yada, yada. Instead, I could say, okay, guitar number four up, you know, at this time, you know, stuff like that for, yeah. for the mixed notes and stuff. Yeah. And I, I like what Kyle did to it because, you know, it retains the band's sound, which is, it's sort of inextricably linked to the blasting room just because of all your full lengths being done there. You know, whether it's yeah. Jason or Andrew Berlin, you know, doing the mixes, but it has this sort of, um, top end shine that's different and it reminds me a little bit of david bottrell i don't know if you know him as a mixer he's done like smashing pumpkins and silver chair and uh some of these are it's a very like distinct characteristic that i i don't hear a lot and uh it's kind of like on you can really hear it on the top end of the snare and all in the kit like it's still got all the power and, and the richness that your other tracks have but it has this sort of like gloss over the top you know what i'm talking about Awesome. That was like the first thing that I talked to Kyle about. I said, really, with these songs, I really wanted, I, I kind of call it like a, the top 40 sound, the airy high end. Yeah. Like while I was building the studio, I'm constantly listening to music and I really started to listen to um, what kind of like records do I find myself going back and listening to over and over again. And a lot of that is like a lot of like the Chris Lord algae mixes and stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of the top 40 stuff and like relating it to like aggressive music. A lot of the stuff lately that I was getting into was like the new four year strong record brain pain. I thought that had an amazing like sound that had like the power, just kind of sort of like how you just described it had the power, but also had like, you know, the top 40. So I, I really wanted to be able to live on the same playlist as like, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. You know what I mean? Live in the same playlist as a Linkin Park or something. You know what I mean? Like and th- that kind of thing. So w- right from the very beginning, even with tracking, James and I were getting the guitar sounds and everything like that. Like a lot of it was like every decision we made was in service to that end goal. Yeah. Which I want. I just really wanted the record to have that kind of a sound. Because personally, that's just what I really dig listening to. I like that sound. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I like darker sounding records as well. But it's like the competition on a playlist. Like for me, when I was dropping all these songs in, it's like some albums that I really loved when I put them up against some of this other stuff just sounded like demos almost. For sure. Which was like very eye-opening. So like right from the very beginning we're in the age of the playlist, you know? And I, I know I wanted to get on some playlists with some like big rock bands. And we knew we were making a big rock record while we were making this. We knew we were, we, we knew that we weren't making like quote unquote, you know, Wilhelm punk record. This record's a Wilhelm big rock record. Yeah, for you know? sure. And we didn't shy away from that. We, we dug into that for yeah. sure. I sort of had a, a similar experience on this record that I'm about to put out in that, kind of like you it's sort of my baby right and you're seeing it through all the way and you know we tracked some of it with paul minor we tracked the rest of it here and 
I'm mixing these songs going like, God, they're sounding really good. Like, do I need this shell out? You know, like I talked to Jason Livermore and then there was a thought of like, well, I mean, Paul tracks some of it. Maybe Paul will mix it. I don't know. I'm like, I really like these rough mixes. Like, what do you think? And I sent it to Paul and he goes, well, you know, why don't you do one? I'll do one. We'll see what sounds better. And he mixed one song and it was like, Jesus Christ. Okay, you do it. You get to finish. <laughs> like, <laughs> awesome. like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Because after a certain amount of time, you're just too into it. You can't see it objectively anymore. Oh, completely. I mean, I was the first one to recognize that, you know, because I was literally eating, sleeping, breathing this album for so long, even before we got in the studio, you know, plans for it. And also plans for my bandmates to to collaborate in a certain way, you know, like collaborating with Nuno more than I ever have in the past on like lyrics and stuff like that. You know, I was purposely leaving space in the songs for him to add his own thing to them as well. So like, that's also another thing that we really took our time with, you know, because I knew that it was going to be really important. I wanted us to connect on a, on an emotional level, you know, what better way to do that than with vocals? I mean, it's like the entryway to the soul of the listener, so to speak, you know? So that's where I put so much focus into all the little minutia of that. So when it came time to mix, it's like, Oh man, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Well, uh, let me ask about some of that collaboration because when I hear this, it very much comes across like this is your baby, right? Like there's, there's just so much, whether it's the guitar playing or you taking more vocal parts than before, things like that. Are there demo versions of these songs where you're just playing all the instruments and, and they're more or less like what we hear? Or did you bring these sort of, you know, half-baked to the guys and really work them out together? Um, the process for this one, even though it sounds different, is no different than any other album. You know, even on like the the heavier or more aggressive stuff, it's always like the Trevor voice kind of like on the songs before everyone adds their stuff to it. Yeah. For every album, there's versions of these songs where it's like me doing, you know, most of the shit, you know what I mean? Like, even though I'm written a lot of songs in my life and a lot of songs, you know, the lion's share of the material of the band, the music and the lyrics and whatnot, I still feel like I have to sell my ideas to my bandmates, you know? Yeah. I'm not that like, oh, I could just bust out anything and they'll do whatever. You know, I I, I don't operate that way. I still very much feel like I got to sell this. I want them to buy this. And if they don't, that's okay. I just know that there's another song that maybe they will buy. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like constantly put that kind of pressure on myself. So that starts in the demo process, you know, and, and I can't sell a song unless I got like the melodies and at least some gibberish and some like lyric, uh, at least some lyrics or something to sell my idea because it's so important. Like I I know a lot of people like just assume that I just kind of write the riffs and stuff like that, but that's like so secondary. The, The riff writing is so secondary to me than the melody. And it's always been that way, no matter what album we're talking about, whether it's like, new prank career suicide or ruiner or or like lose your delusion it's the same process every time you guys have a lot of intricate guitar work but it's a very vocal centric band and i think that's what makes you guys appealing and not like some scary prog you know thing that like average listeners wouldn't get like that's why you can still play next to no effects on a playlist or something like that and it works because you have so many hooks in your songs oh cool awesome (laughs) i'm not sure how literal this was but when we talked before you said you had to get through about eight or so okay songs to get the momentum right for about quote 15 great songs that followed so i wonder with the 11 that we heard are there others that you saw through to completion or was this pretty much like the cream of the crop and everything else just fell by the wayside? I think the way that it came out is that I really go by the vibe of my bandmates. If they like an idea of mine, then I like it. Yeah. 
You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you like that? Oh, okay, I like that too. Then, I, all right, you know what I mean? I really go by. I really uh, trust what they're into, and first impressions to me are really important. So, like, I always remember, like, when I send it out, like, I always try to remember, like what Nick's first reaction is and what Nuno's first reaction is, you know, and Brian and stuff like that gets me to want to finish a song, you know? Yeah. If they're super into it, you know, like, Oh yeah, I really love that idea. You know what I mean? So like, it's probably like another 10 songs in various stages of like development that didn't make this round. I mean, this was originally supposed to be like not supposed to be, but like my dream was to make it a double album. Oh, really? You know, yeah, to to play into like the Guns N' Roses, uh, Use Your Illusion. Yeah. You know, this would be Lose Your Delusion, and that would be our double album. One and two, you know? yeah. Um, but in true fucking me fashion, like I bit off more than I could chew, you know, it's usually the case. So <laughs> I said, you know what? All right, let's just make this album what it wants to be. So basically, I just chose the catchiest ones based on what my bandmates were digging, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were a couple other ideas that did make it onto this time around, which easily could have made it. But I think for this one, it was just kind of going, just going with where the vibe is headed and then let the songs be what they are. Yeah. You know, let the chips fall where they may. And it's, hey, hope people dig it as much as we dig it while we're making it, you know, because the vibe making it, it was stressful and everything, of course, like usual. And it's the maiden voyage of, you know, the Anchor End studio and everything like that and, and whatnot. So, like, of course, there was all that anxiety. But at the same time, I we all felt that we were doing something special, you know. Like, we all felt like, oh, yeah, oh, this is cool. You know, as we listen to something back, you know, we're giggling. Yeah. You know? That's the best. Like that. I like when you're talking about sending the demo to your bandmates and kind of recording that reaction in your head because i only had one song ever in this band i think where my drummer was like no i don't get this at all and i was like wait wait wait, wait. no 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 yeah because i can't play the drums so it's like i'm trying to explain to him but no 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 but you're playing kind of the opposite of what i'm playing right and so it's gonna have a totally different feel and he's like i just don't i i don't fucking get it and then like when we recorded it it ended up being our album closer because it was like, wow, that's one of the best songs on the record. But he, it was like the only time ever where he would just like, I don't fucking get where you're going with this. And I had to say, just trust me. Because every other time you want that yeah. stoked reaction of like, oh yeah, that's great. I can't wait to add this and that to it. Perfect. But like totally. every now and then you get one where you're just like, trust me, we got to see it through. And if it sucks, it sucks. But like, we got to finish it, you know? Yeah. My version of like my bandmates saying no is if they're like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's like okay, this song sucks. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. so, like to me, that's good enough. Like, to not okay, I better get back at this and you know try try to come back with some fire here. You know, let's get it going. <laughs> I had an old bandmate who re- referred to that as the girlfriend response. The like you work super hard on something and you're really excited and you show somebody and you're like, nice, and then that's yeah. it. You know, like, <laughs> like yeah, oh yeah, it's oh, good. That's nice. Just, yeah, oh. that's cool. <laughs> like a dagger in the heart. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to ask in terms of past production versus now, I have my friends Broadway calls on the show, and they did a couple albums with Bill and Jason at the Blasting Room. And then their last one, they decided to go back to a very old friend and kind of do stuff on their own. And the explanation for it, I thought was great in that they had done two full lengths with those dudes. And they knew after a while kind of what their approach is to arrangement and production, right? With them, it was like, all right, we know what they would do to these songs. What if we take it somewhere else and see what else could be done with these songs, right? Do you feel like working with them for so long that like, okay, yeah, I have an understanding of what they would do and maybe, you know what, that's the right instinct on this one, but maybe let's try this other type of collaboration and see what else is out there. I think my takeaway from working with Bill and Jason 
I don't know if they're like this with every band that they have in there. It could have been a product of us, our personalities, the way that we work, being there and coming in, you know, and how they saw us, like our vibe overall. Yeah. But my takeaway of it was, how can I put this? Almost like a sport. You know, oh, we're going to nail it, you know, like almost like a cockiness. And like, I, I think a lot of Bill's challenges were how proficient can you be at your instrument? You know yeah. what I mean? Like attacking your instrument, like attacking the songs almost, you know what I mean? And I think that could have been also like how he perceived us. Cause like we would go there and we would be like, we're going to dip out and go play competitive basketball against each other. <laughs> you know, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we're going to go, we're going to go play Tiger Woods and like swear at each other for like three hours you know, competitively. Yeah. <laughs> so we sort of had this kind of competitive element and also a lot of the things that we would quote to each other, we would quote movies, you know, we'd quote like uh, David Mamet lines from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, yeah. which is like basically, I don't want to say like toxic masculinity, but like, I mean, <laughs> you know, just busting balls, like constantly busting balls. And that's just how we are. So I think that they were very relieved by that. Like, okay, awesome. I can bust balls without anybody getting caught up in their feelings about it. Yeah. You know, because because the, these guys are like pretty blue collar, rough around the edges, East Coast guys, you know? Like I can match um, that energy. Yeah. They can feel comfortable to tell me that my performance was garbage bag, <laughs> which that was another thing. We used to quote Cool Keith like all the time. Yeah. So it was all like distance from Cool Keith songs that we would use. And then that opened up Bill early on he could say okay so i could tell them that they sound like a pair of sneakers in the dryer playing with each other you know what i mean and shit like that you know what i mean so and we wouldn't get caught in our feelings we would take it in the way that they intended it which is to light a fire under us to really perform so a lot of that was kind of say oh it, like our attitude was more like oh yeah you like that motherfucker all right here we go all right, how about that you know yeah. what i mean i think we earned their respect that way i think like kind of early on having that kind of approach to our playing, you know? But as far as like working on the songs, like, oh, this part and that part, you know what I mean? Like we would talk, we would talk about the stuff, but I don't remember us ever having any like meetings or anything with Bill saying, Hey, Trev, maybe we should put this chorus over here or move this around. And you know, we, that I just don't ever remember us doing that yeah. kind of thing. It was just kind of like, okay, here's the songs. Here's what we got, you know? And I'm, I'm sure there's been things here and there like that, but um, yeah, our experience was mostly on the performance angle, okay. like on the performance tip. He would know what buttons to push, you know? He'd be like, oh, greatest band we had we ever had recording in here was Shades Apart. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, they, those guys, no drum editing necessary. Oh, they we didn't even do overdubs, you know, yeah. all kinds of shit. And you're thinking, oh, fuck, Shades Apart must be the greatest band in, in, in the world, you know what I mean? And maybe, maybe they were hyping it up a little more, but I knew that that was his, their way of motivation. Yeah. And we can handle that, you know, we can handle like a little, you know, some ribbon. I wanted to so. ask about the lineup because we talked before about losing a bass player and what that does to change the dynamic. And your quote was when you find a new member, you're not looking <laughs> to replace that old guy. You're looking for, what this person's new strengths are so you can quote exploit the fuck out of it now what qualities did you see in jason milbank that got you excited about the new dynamic well first off you know i mean he's replacing mike subpoena i mean mike is one of the gnarliest guitarists i've ever seen in my life you know like yeah. insane stage presence everything you know you know what i mean so it's like you don't really replace mike you don't get another mic. But of course, the player that we have, he or she, needs to nail Mike's parts so yeah. we can play these that material like convincingly. You yeah. know what I mean? So once we got that, I discovered so many things about Jason that are just like incredible. Like his, his he's an amazing singer, first off. I mean, his range is out of control. Like I think his favorite singer and maybe even favorite artist is Celine Dion. Wow. And that's not even taking the piss or anything. This he's yeah. like fucking into it. So like stuff like that really like blew me away. Whereas, okay, this guy shreds and plus he sings like almost near perfect pitch. 
you know so a lot of that super super high stuff on the record that's jason oh cool yeah a lot of that stuff is like super super high and then also i mean jason's like his attitude and his just overall vibe is just exactly what the band needed you know it's just like this youthful vigor not jaded like oh man oh hell yeah you know like it you know we'll be on the tour we'll be on the road and he's like he'll go around he's like trev man don't you get it man we're rock stars man (laughs) you know what i mean and he's like i got you know it's like he's like reminding you know reminding me no dude like like this fucking rules yeah there's no like self-consciousness that i can see when it comes to that kind of thing. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that being in my life, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like Jason coming out because, you know, we went through so many years of uncertainty, not speaking of the pandemic at all here, the uncertainty of not knowing like if Mike subpoena was going to be in our band, you know, or, yeah. or what the hell was even happening. You know what I mean? So like a lot of that, like the confidence level the morale it's hard to get morale if you don't have all five band members like being like gung-ho you know with a singular goal and singular vision and like living in the moment and appreciating what we get to do and we've always been appreciative but at the same time there was like this bittersweet like sadness and you know i don't know you, you know what i mean we're such a machine for like a decade yeah my chemistry with mike you know, on stage and in the studio and just in life, amazing chemistry. So what do you do? You go look for another mic. No, you look for another person who you can develop chemistry with, you yeah. know, and having done a couple tours with Jason, like it's already come so awesome. You, it, you know, I feel like being in a band and like feeling like you're bulletproof in a band or, you know, f- feeling like you're just killing it. Just feeling like when you know that things are cooking Yeah, for me, I know that it's when you're on stage with your bandmates and the crowd doesn't need to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the crowd doesn't, well, I don't mean it like that, but for us to have a great time, we don't need the audience to be having a great time first. No, I get it. I you get know? it. Like when you're just locked yeah. into the moment and <laughs> I just watched a, the new George Carlin documentary last night and they used a, just like some footage from a random show he played. He said to the audience, look, you guys are here for me. I'm here for me. Nobody's here for you. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's funny. Cause he was talking about like, he's, he was memorizing his new material and he was kind of like, you know, I'm going to be reading a couple things off my note cards and putting it together. But he's like, let's let's be clear why we're here. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so funny. <laughs> what a genius. But yeah, I mean, of course, we're so appreciative of like the fans that come out to this. You know, if they're not there, we're not there. Yeah, know, yeah. Let's be honest, I'm, you know. But there's a lot of things that the audience isn't experiencing like we're experiencing on, on stage. You know what I mean? Like we could have like, you know, the monitor sound, we could be fighting that and they have no idea. So like the chemistry comes into play where, okay, we're all in the same boat here. Maybe none of us can hear ourselves this particular <laughs> night. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we're still connecting. It's like the mind over matter thing. You know what I mean? Like you're just doing it and then everything clicks. It doesn't matter because it's just, it is awesome because we're making it awesome. You know what I mean? And a lot of that is like the connection with your bandmates on stage. You know what I mean? So like developing that with my co-guitarist is so important to our band because it's been so important, like since the band started that we have that rapport, you know, cause we're playing like, you know, we rip off Thin Lizzy, we rip off like Iron Maiden and stuff <laughs> sure. like that. Like, you know what I mean? So like that togetherness, that kind of chemistry is just so important to have. So like developing that with Jason, it's just getting better and better and cooler and cooler. So yeah, I'm, psyched on the future yeah i think that in a lot of ways chemistry can transcend so many of those little obstacles that you talk about you know i'm playing with guys who i've been lucky enough to play with in some capacity for more than 15 years now and so like like i hadn't seen my drummer in three years because he just had a baby he was going man i don't know if i'm gonna be able to 
get up to that level before the show, you know, like I just, I don't know, you know, it's so intense and I haven't played in so long. And like first practice, I'm like, dude, come on. Like this is, <laughs> do we have to work on some things? Yeah. But like, dude, it's there. Like it's the magic is just there. When you put these three people together in a room, you know, you can't escape Absolutely. it. You had mentioned to me before that some of the songs on this record actually started in the time of Party Crasher, and I wanted to just take a shot in the dark here. I don't know if any of those did make the cut, but I wanted to guess <laughs> if yeah. if B1 to No One and Figure Eights in My Head had a genesis in the Party Crasher era, because they feel a little like that album to me. Oh, cool. Uh, B1 to No One was one of the last ideas that I had. Of course, we're going back a few years, but not quite as many years as Party Crasher. Yeah, yeah. There were two that didn't make the record that I remember. Oh, and yeah, you're right. Figure eights, that started way back then. Uh, yeah. I had a feeling, yeah. man. That, like, those two songs yeah. are just so like quintessential classic Wilhelm to me, you know? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Originally, the line was, the full line was... I knew there was a reason I got up this morning to send another soul to hell. Oh, shit. I knew there was a reason I got up this morning to send another soul to hell. So it was originally going to be like the right in my wheelhouse negative, yeah. almost like gangster rap style of lyric writing that has always come kind of naturally to me. Yeah, you guys have a little bit of like dark satire in there sometimes. Yeah. I mean, with this record, it was sort of like... I don't want to say working clean because we, you know, there's still f bombs and shits all over the all over the place. But for yeah. me, the challenge was, can we come up with stuff that's earnest sounding? Just like ended up being just a song about friendship, you know? Yeah. Instead of a song about like revenge, yeah, my favorite genre of movie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's about friendship and about growing up and how you know you get so tight and then over time, you know, like the world kind of can naturally splits us up, you know, into our, you know, as we live our own lives and stuff like that. So like that kind of stuff was very exciting to me to not go back into the wheelhouse shit that I can like, honestly, I have so much experience writing in the negative, like revenge fashion. Yeah. Tie me up to the radiator and all that shit. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. To put it in like comedian terms, you know, like after years of working like dice clay. Yeah. I wanted to see what it was like to work like Seinfeld yeah, and see if I could still cut it. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing that was like exciting for me. And yeah. also just to be like real, you know, with being one to know one about like mental health, you know, being stuck in your own head, which has always been a problem, you know, that I've had, you know, just being stuck in my own head. You know, some, sometimes it's good to be the guy in the lab, you know what I mean? But like to be socially awkward to the point where it's sort of like debilitating, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. paralyzing. You know, that stuff, you know, and uh, I, so I wanted to write a song about that without being like too like, woe is me about things, but also not being like talking about like, oh, you know, so I'm drinking, you know, or, you know, yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? I wanted just a positive jam to make let people know like, hey, you know, you know, you're you're not alone here. Here's how I felt better. You know, I felt better by like giving props to the people in my life that make my life good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a real subject, but you can almost sing it with a smile on your face like an interrupter song or something like that, you know? Awesome. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I mean, like, the subject matter, don't get me wrong, it's still, like, a lot of it is dark, but that made me want to have it be as catchy as fucking possible. I wanted this shit to be as catchy as possible. Like, we're not reaching for no invisible brass ring you know yeah. we're not looking for that big old record contract and shit like that you know we're like older you know what i mean we do this shit for ourselves but like at the same time like i want everybody singing our songs yeah so i wanted to be catchy as possible get him in there with the sugar and then get the med and then, <laughs> then maybe they could pick up some medicine somewhere in the lyrics that yeah. will maybe like make somebody's day better or something you know what i mean like Totally. That was one of the many goals that we had, you know, a lot of lofty goals, you know, which made it fun. So I have a question from my bass player, Ben Polanski, who um, 
you had mentioned his old band on the last show, Cap Gun Suicide. Um, oh, hell yeah. He texted me while we've been talking to ask if Give Me the Shakes has an intentional nod to I Hate Club. Because he said right around the 110 mark in both songs, there's a part that's very similar. Really? Oh, oh, no. I'm going to have to listen to I Hate Club <laughs> again. And like, that's cool. That's really cool. He had said something the other day at practice about, he's like, yeah, I, I swear there's a spot. He goes, and I'll find what song it's on. He goes, but I swear there's a spot where they, they took something from I Hate Club and like redid it. And he goes, I wonder if that's because like that song never got a proper release. If it was like, no, nah, this is too cool. We got to bring it back. And I was like, I don't know. And then he just texts me while we were talking. He's like, give me the shakes. <laughs> that's the one. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to listen back to that. No, that's probably just like my tendencies. Yeah, my songwriting tendencies showing through. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, th I think naturally I always go to you know some wheelhouse. Maybe, maybe that's why a lot of reactions that I've been getting from the album is like you know it's like really different, but it's like super Wilhelm at the same time. You know, which yeah. is cool. Like I'm like, whew, awesome. Glad there's like some common thread. I do want to talk about some of the the creative choices, the big changes here, because there are some moments that are a lot different, even if the overall is very much Wilhelm. Yeah. Pretty much every record, aside from like a short intro on, on Ruiner, just drops you into the song. You know, you're just in it. You know, we've talked about Career yeah. Suicide being like one of my favorite albums ever. It just starts in the verse. Like, there's no, there's nothing, right? Yeah. First record starts with Nuno's voice. You know, it just like, the, you're, you're always right into it. And this has this two-minute sneaker wave of a guitar intro that it's not even like a build-up necessarily, like Master Puppets has battery or something, and the, the layering and the layering, and then it hits you over the head, which yours does. But it sort yeah. of just kind of, lulls you into this like oh this is what the first song is and then pulls the rug out from under you was there an intention to break the mold and do a different opener or was this just an idea you had kicking around that worked i just wanted it to be different it's so important to me to have each of our albums be different i don't want to do the same album every time yeah like, i really just like Maybe uh, commercially that bites us in the ass. I don't really give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I want every album to be different. Yeah. And it's really important. That's super important to me. I don't want to go back to the wheelhouse purposely because I just think that's how records start to suck. You know, when you're not doing something that you fully believe in, when you're just trying to check some boxes off, you know, because hey, it worked before. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just really don't want to fucking do that. Like, there's no reason to do that. We're not selling out arenas and shit. You know what I mean? We're not like, ACDC, we're in this for the art, first off. I'm also very self-referential as a result because I look at what we've done before, the way that we've started albums, and a lot of it was looking at the way that things are now where you could say that I'm like shooting myself in the foot sometimes. Bill Stevenson, yeah, I probably said this on the last one. He calls it avoid success. Is my my style <laughs> of uh, so <laughs> my style of my 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 choices avoid success, and he's pretty fucking spot on. Probably, you know. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I get it, that. It, <laughs> you get that too. I get that in yeah. a different way. People are like, "Are you really gonna say that in the song?" I'm like, "Yeah, why not?" Like. Like, are you yeah, really going to put that on your album totally. cover? Like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the age of streaming, in the age of you better catch the listener's attention in 20 seconds or they're <laughs> going to go to the next one because nobody has attention spans and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. That made me want to put a long ass two minute, just one guitar <laughs> more. Because who the fuck is doing that? We're doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, who's coming out of the pandemic with a hopeful song, fucking pop rock record. Yeah. We are that kind of stuff. I think about for sure. But I think ultimately I try to serve the song always, you know, and the opening track 
it's a, about a family member. I don't want to like call them out or whatever, but like it's about a family member stuck in their own horror of, of addiction and me kind of like searching around for them around New Bedford when they're out in the weeds, you know? Yeah. So like that intro is directly like I ran into that family member when they were literally on the street and had like a slow speed chase with them and didn't really catch up to them. I went home and uh, that's what came out. It doesn't get more real than that. <laughs> you know, I, I love but, that backstory. Like, I, I was feeling it. That's not something that I went and re-recorded in the studio. Like, Oh, let me do it better. Yeah. You know, it's just, it is what it is. And that is one reason why it's like special to me. And that's also another reason why, I didn't want to make it its own track that could be skippable. Yes. And I fully realize in this day and age, putting an intro with just one singular sad guitar for two fucking minutes <laughs> is like probably, you know, pun intended career suicide for us. But <laughs> yeah. Like, but like I said, I'm way more into the, I'm way more about the art than uh, the commerce of things. So that is what it is. And I gave the record to my good friend, Chris Cresswell from the Flatliners. He told me, he said, yeah, Trev, like I, I fully expected just to put the record on and then kind of like, okay, you know, I'll skip around, you know, or whatever, as people do, you know, like find the bangers or whatever. So, you know, he's like, oh, I you know, expected that. But now listen to the intro. And then when that single guitar starts again, yeah, the second time around, he said, that's when I had to sit down and listen. He's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and listen to this whole thing. Yeah. You know, it made me feel so good. I mean, I, I mean, love the background. That's, that, that's exactly the reaction that I wanted, you know? Yeah. I, I love hearing the background on, on the story behind it because when we first got it, you know, I asked Ben, I'm like, oh, did you hear the new Wilhelm, right? And uh, one of the first things we talked about was, because, you know, I write 20, 30-second punk songs. So I was like, it's so long in the beginning. He goes, I don't know, it sounds really emotional. Like, that was his take on it he goes it sounds really emotional and i love that it had its own origin in addition to the song that follows it you know oh thanks yeah i mean it's really it's it doesn't i don't know it doesn't get more real than that for me writing songs you know yeah. talking about singing about my family it doesn't really get more it doesn't get more real you know i'm not putting on airs in there uh, and a lot of the songs on the record are kind of like that you know like of course, Give Me the Shakes is like a just like, you know, fun, killing it kind of thing. Like, you know, there's some like melancholy-ness in it. But I mean, a lot of it is, yeah, we really are working some shit out on a lot of these songs, you know. And to me, that's the therapy, you know, that's what I go for, you know what I mean? And, and if I can connect with people, which I have, like I got, like even based on the Cushion Avenue at night, like yeah, that opening track, like, I mean, the day it came out, I got like, a very emotional, heartfelt letter from someone basically saying like, you know, my wife was an addict and we would, she would disappear for weeks at a time. And I would do the same thing. I would drive around looking for my, looking for her and wow. everything like that, not knowing what's happening, you know, and kind of, you know, thank you for putting it into music. You know what I mean? And as a dude in a band, I mean, there's no better validation to do what I do than that. Yeah, that is so that's so huge to me to connect in that way. You know, it's really it's a big thing to me. Absolutely, I've said this a lot on the show before, but the the realest, most personal things that maybe I'm afraid to put out on a record are always the ones that become the most rewarding because those are the things where people will actually share a bit of themselves and and like you said, validate the choice to put that out there because because other people connect with it too and and maybe nobody else has told that story in that way you know yeah it's the power of music you know yeah it's like magical you know it's like magical i'm not saying like what i do is magical i'm saying just the overall the connection you know, that that connection with people that is someone i don't know at all you know to bond over something that i just kind of like created in when I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about the fans at all when yeah. I'm writing songs, you know? Totally. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you talked about not wanting to make the same album and use the word wheelhouse a couple times. Mm -hmm. I find myself 
you know, the longer you make one genre of music, I find myself going, uh, well, that's what I would do there. But then having to fight the instinct and being like, well, it can still sound like us if I deviate from the thing that usually makes us interesting, you know? Like, do you, do you sure. ever fight your instincts on that or, or like come up with, oh man, I don't want to do this because then it's almost repeating ourselves the way that we structured such and such, you know, like, do you feel like you have go-to tricks that you have to stop using kind of? I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day, for instance, just the top of my head, like the tapping. Yes. Like guitar, guitar tapping, bass tapping, et cetera. On our first record, New Print, was the first time that we did that. And that was for a song called uh, William Blake Overdrive. Mm -hmm. So tapping and singing yeah, at the same time. It's hard. I know that I wanted to do that again. We ended up doing it two records later. Yeah. On the horse. On career suicide record. So like, if I was to say, okay, I'm going to come up with another song that does tapping because it worked yeah. twice. You know what I mean? Like people really dug it twice. Well, not so much that, but like when you're crafting something and then you just in your heart know the next thing is this. Maybe it's just me, but I have to pause myself yeah. and go, well, no, that's what we would logically do. You know what I mean? Like that's sure. that's the that's the the obvious move for this band would be to do the 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 next passage this way. You know? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And and on that tip, I'm pretty much with you in terms of like that. Almost goes back to what we were talking about, like what I was saying with like the avoid success thing that Bill would always say about Yes. Me. In terms of like, I usually always try to do the thing that is not expected. Sometimes I miss the mark, you know, I'm sure, you know what I mean? And sometimes I, you know, it's cool. You come upon like cool stuff for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, I don't want to do a watered-down version of something that worked before. Yeah. Because, to me, it's, like, the watered-down version of what we did before, you know? And it's kind of like, I, I, it'll always be that way to me, you know? So, like I, like, I feel like you have to, like, for me, like, I got to, like, use a Game of Thrones reference, like, pay the iron price for it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, hammer things out and then come up with that cool thing by accident you know which is how most of the anything that anything cool that's that i've ever come up with has happened by accident and i was just smart enough to recognize that that shit was cool yeah so i just try to follow my heart that way and i try not to be too self-referential because i really don't want to become a parody <laughs> yeah of what we do you know what i mean yeah. i would rather have people be like oh that sucks you know what i mean or have people talking about it at all yeah because honestly that's a fear of mine to put out an album and then have no controversy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah that's a Wilhelm record. Yeah. It's, you know, same old, you know, cool. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's what you'd expect from Wilhelm, you know, whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Okay. Next. I think that's probably you know what I mean? part of the reason that I do make such bold shit in my music because it's like, you don't want to put out a record that you worked on for two years and have it go unheard. Yeah. So fucking, I'm going to throw everything at it. I'm not going to hold anything back to make it palatable. I'm going to fucking, you know, rocket launcher this thing into the world. Uh, yeah. Because why not, I guess? Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to stoke yourself out first, you know? Yeah. How could you expect anybody else to give a fuck if you don't care so much yourself about the thing that you're doing while you're doing it? Oh, yeah. I mean, my, yeah. my sole yeah, purpose so is to make records... For me to listen to. Like, I make records that I will want to listen to because no one made this yet, you know? And so... Yeah. That, that, that's always the mission statement. And I, I think that it kind of has to be. If it's going to read as real. Definitely. It's got to pass a sniff test. I'd rather take <laughs> chances yeah. 
than just be like, oh yeah, it's oh here's another one, you know, just just like uh, oh yeah, they, yeah they got a tapping song on here, they got a tapping song on there, you know. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I came up with a song and it was like better than the horse, fuck yeah, it's gonna be on the record. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I rip the same shit off and everything like that, but like yeah. You don't go into it trying to write the next horse. You don't go into it trying to write the next King is Dead. You know what I'm saying? Because it just fucking ain't gonna happen. Yeah, it just ain't gonna happen. You, like the only thing that the only thing that you can do, right? And you, you probably agree with me, agree with me on this is you like trust your own process to end up with something that is genuine. Yeah, because I think because because don't don't you think that that like I'm sure you find that with your music like you know you know, the things that are genuine will pass any sniff test, you know? It may not be everybody's cup of tea, but dude, what the fuck is everybody's cup of tea? Well, yeah, and, and you I... Know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen so... Like, even for this album, I've seen so many fucking different takes on it. Yeah. You know you know what I mean? I've seen people say, like, who the fuck is this guy singing? Why is he singing? <laughs> and then I've seen something, why hasn't this guy been singing the whole time? Like, yeah. the whole fucking gamut of it you know what i mean and it's like wow nobody's right nobody's wrong let's talk about the vocals a little bit because it's not just that there's less nuno at times because also at, at this age in my life and as much music as we collect and consume i am now the guy that has to listen to something half a dozen times all the way through, and I'm like, all right, yeah. It's like I, I pick out little things more and more each time I hear it, and then I really get the gist of the record, and that's how I felt with the new Chili Peppers. That's how I felt with the new Wilhelm. That's how I felt with a lot of them, right? Hell yeah. With this one, the very first time I heard it, I think it was on the last song, I thought, this reminds me of when I heard the last Roots album, where I'm like, when your front man is this good, why aren't you using him all the time, right? I had that sort of like, wh where's the thing that I know? Because you go into like the Batman, someone expected to see X, Y, and Z, and it wasn't there. And they walked out like, well, what? Right? Yeah. And so I, I like really studying something and getting to know it, but not just the trade-offs. One of the most interesting choices is there's almost a post-hardcore atonal vocal in a couple of parts we talked about you guys being a very hooky band right a technical band that's very very catchy with the vocal is something like that was something you guys had never tried do you know what i'm talking about i'm gonna pull out my lyric oh, sheet because yeah. i have nasty? your i have your 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 cd in front of me which by the way i love oh, cool. the the artwork on this album it's awesome um, oh yeah dave clock Killed it. Like, I came in peace, that whole section. I fool no yeah. one. My word is good. I totally did not intend to sing that. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those things I'm like, okay, Nuno, you're ready to sing it? He's like, dude, you already sang it. It sounds awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That was definitely a bunch of that. You know, Nuno hearing it and saying, dude, that sounds good. Just keep it. You know, like, it's something. What about Downtown Start too? How about that? That's a similar thing where it starts out in a totally different place. Yeah, starting off with Nuno, like, singing cleaner than ever. Yeah. Yeah, just takes it where it needs to go. I mean, I think that whatever the song kind of, like, calls for, you know, like, me singing a lot isn't new. For sure. In our history of the band, particularly in our real early days, like, the Smack and Isaiah days, which is, like, the early Wilhelm days, honestly, if we're being honest. Like, yeah. Mute Print was the Smack and Isaiah record when we went in to record it, you know. In those days, there were entire songs I sang by myself. Yeah. You know, we traded off on vocals like fucking all the time. Like a lot of people thought that I was the lead singer for <laughs> many years. Yeah. And it wasn't like, Oh, well, it, it was just sort of like a thing that, you know, and I kind of worked on and agreed upon. And that I agree. I mean, Nuno is one of the best singers around. I'm not even super into my voice. You know what I mean? Like I'm into um, your voice. Your, your track on Ruiner is one of my favorite songs from the band. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Album. That song. Yeah. You know, Veritas. Yeah. I sing that one all by myself and Bill retiring off new print. I think just as time went on, maybe I lost the confidence in my voice to like be up front and I kind of like got more withdrawn. Yeah. And I think that affected my personality a little bit, too, to be honest, like 
being more of like the background player, you know, and then sort of almost like losing my identity a little bit, you know what I mean? Like being the guy that writes the lion's share of the lyrics and melodies and stuff like that. Yeah. But everybody assumes that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like You're kind of Brian in the Beach Boys before he was Brian Wilson, you know, like he was he was the bass player. Mm-hmm. They didn't know he right. made everything, you know, he was just kind of back there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get it all the time. It's like, oh, so then Nuno like puts the lyrics on top of your riffage, and I'm like, man, you have no idea. Like, dude, like the riffage <laughs> is like so secondary to me. Yeah, it's like such a distant concern of mine. The riffage, <laughs> you know, to me, the riffage is just like, oh yeah, we figure it out and it's cool. Like whatever's in my head, I okay, I make it happen on guitar. Blah 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 blah. But I don't sit around playing guitar all day learning other people's songs or anything like that. You know, yeah. I'm more into the songwriting aspect and melodies and lyrics and stuff like that you know so it's always a surprise to people like always and i just think that these songs kind of like called for that that fun back and forth yeah of course like me having like my opinions on my voice like i would probably agree with the people that said oh what the fuck like you know (laughs) let's what you know you got nuno why are you singing you know what i mean like I do agree with that, like to a certain extent, you know, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like Nuno digs it. Well, yeah, it comes back to what you said when you show the guys something that you made and they're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You're like, all right, let's do that. You know? Yeah. You know, singing that stuff. Definitely. it, It makes me feel good to sing. Yeah. The Wilhelm shit it's like a fucking dear diary on like form of like lyric writing a lot of the time yeah you know what i mean and for like a good 80 percent of the shit it's my diary you know what i mean so like to physically get to sing some of this shit um does feel good you know but shit but you know as long as like nuno's like cool with that nuno was cool with it you know he was down you know what i mean I don't know if the red next record will be that way. I have no idea. I know that I know the next record is not going to sound like this record. For that's sure. what I, that's what I do know. Yeah. You know, because that's, that shit's important. You know what I mean? Regardless, regardless of how like well received it is, you know, um, which it's been fucking really well received. Like I'm looking at some of these streams and I'm like, what the fuck dude? Holy shit. That's awesome. That many streams already fucking a and you guys have been working on this record so long that i'm sure you're already tinkering with like all right but the next thing's gonna be fucking way over here you know definitely it's gonna be like revenge time just like revenge <laughs> like for me like revenge time like this record for me was like revenge on like party crasher to be honest with you yeah you know what i mean like revenge in terms of like our uh, old guitar player chris who also played on some songs on this he was like trev where's the sing-alongs you know, yeah. so I'm like, oh, you want sing-alongs? Here's 11 sing-alongs. This is the most sing-along I can do. Yeah. You know, the next album, like I said, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I don't know if it'll be melodic like this one is. But I do know that it'll be a lot more like musical input and everything for Brian and Jason, you know, being in the band now and stuff like that. So, like, I'm already thinking about, like, you know, what we can do to further expand our sound and push our sound yeah you know for sure well congrats on this record it looked like you just finished an awesome first leg of the tour i know you're headed back out again on the first right yeah brendan kelly and make war it's gonna be awesome yeah man i haven't got to see you guys live since i first heard you in 2004 and so actually uh with my friend Ben, we were there together and, and I can't wait to see you again. I appreciate you uh, letting us open the show too. Uh, if anybody's curious, you can come see us in Portland, Oregon uh, at the Star Theater on June 14th. And um, man, it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be a great fucking time. Oh yeah. Can't wait to share the stage with you, man. All right, that is our show. Huge thanks to Trevor for coming back on. Again, you can see Wilhelm Scream on the Lose Your Delusion tour all across the country with Brennan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms and Make War. You can see Dead Fucking Serious open up the show, yours truly here, in Portland, Oregon, June 14th. And our next episode here will be breaking down the new DFS album. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to play you off with a new song from Lose Your Delusion. This is a Wilhelm Scream, Apocalypse Porn. I see the rest of- 
That is a Wilhelm scream, and here is a quick preview of our next episode, Dead Fucking Serious, featuring Lou Caller from Sick of It All and Ephraim Schultz from Death by Stereo. This is Panic Dote. It's the time!